Poland. Uh, things that come to mind. Not a whole lot, no. Uh, Polish sausages? No, I don't know anything about that country. <laughs> Pierogies. Is that it? We hope it's not. That's what we're going to try to show you. Welcome to Polcast, Pole and all that jazz. Hello, I'm Małgorzata Bonikowska. And I'm Tomek Kniat. Welcome to the 24th episode of Polcast. In this episode we will tell you... How the survivors, as well as their children and grandchildren, preserve the memory of the Siberian experience, the part of Polish history still unknown to the world. How a radio show can grow in popularity over 45 years. And about the world premiere of the latest film by Andrzej Wajda, Powidoki, after image at the Toronto International Film Festival. Remember Ivona Malinowski's School of Polish for Adults in the area of Toronto? Here is another story I heard from her students. My name is Susan, Susan. and I'm Polish on my mom's side of the family. So my grandparents and um, my mom's side of the family immigrated to actually Thunder Bay, which is where I'm from. And my grandfather spoke Polish, Russian, Ukrainian, and English. So when I was growing up, we were very close to my mom's side of the family, and I heard Polish all the time, but I never spoke it. So it was something in the back of my head. I thought, you know, I hear it, it's all in my blood, it's in my head, but I just don't speak it. And then just over the years, my mom is now the last surviving member of her family in Thunder Bay, and over the last couple of years, her cousin had passed away. So she now has no one to speak Polish to. So I thought this is the time while we're both still alive to be able to do that. So I came to this class and started learning a bit of the basics. I'll be back next year to learn more. But um, it's been a lot of fun because my mom kills herself laughing when I try to read from the book. So we'll be FaceTiming or I'll call her on the phone and I'll say, okay, I'm going to read you a story. And she's just laughing. But we've had a lot of fun with it. But it's been, um, I was hoping I'd pick it up a little bit easier because it's all in my head, but it's, it's really hard. I find it's really hard. Your teaching is fantastic. My learning is a little <laughs> slower, but yeah, it's been so great. So your mom is happy. Yes, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Image 
prestigious category of masters, which features the latest productions of Pedro Almodovar, Carlos Saura, or Deepa Mehta, among others. Vaida is indeed a master, the recipient of an honorary Oscar whose four pictures, The Promised Land, The Maids of Vilko, Man of Iron, and Katyn, have been nominated for the Academy Award for Best Foreign Film. After him, it shows a powerful portrait of Władysław Strzemiński, one of the top avant-garde Polish artists, a friend of Malevich and Chagall, devoted art teacher at the Higher School of Visual Arts in Łódź, which he co-founded, the founder of Poland's first museum of modern art. We see him in the last years of his life, 1949 to 1952, which coincided with the brutal assault of the communist Stalinist ideology on the freedom of expression, art, and civil rights of people who dared to express different views. In this film, Straminski struggles with his own disability, he's a double amputee, poverty, family drama, his broken marriage to another avant-garde artist, sculptor Katarzyna Kobro, and tragic loneliness. He tries to resist systematically intensifying political persecution in order to continue painting and to finish his revolutionary book titled The Theory of Vision. Stravinsky does not give in. He refuses to teach and paint in the Soviet-imposed socialist realism style as the Ministry of Culture demands. Gradually, he loses all the privileges, eventually deprived of even the bare minimum necessary to live a job, food stamps, and what's most painful, access to paints. Ironically, in order to survive, he is forced to do what is probably the most repulsive option of all, painting huge realistic portraits of the communist leaders. The unscrupulous regime is not satisfied with attacking just him. It targets his students, destroys their art exhibit, arrests those who are close to him. His physical end is unavoidable but we know that his work and what he stood for lives on. At the premiere, the film was introduced by the very Pierce Handling, the co-founder and artistic director of the TIFF, a true film connoisseur and great admirer of Polish cinema. We were fortunate to have as a guest of the premiere screening actor Bogusław Linda, who has worked with Vida on three other films, including his iconic Man of Iron, which won the Palm d'Or in 1981. Linda's exquisite acting and the depth of the character he has created on the screen impressed the audience. Uh, I just have uh, first a comment and then a question. Uh, this film resonated very deeply with me because uh, I'm a member of the Canadian military and in 2014 I deployed to Poland uh, as part of the NATO reassurance mission to show solidarity with our Polish allies in uh, very uncertain times. So seeing this film gave me a lot of historical context as to why I was there. Um, so it, thank you. This, is, uh, this has been extremely meaningful to me. Um, so my question is, uh, the, um, I would like to know Mr. Linda's thoughts on this. The artist in the film uh, wanted to depoliticize politicize However, based on what I was able to take away from the film, it is a very political piece of work. So the film itself is a medium of art and a medium of political communication. So how are we to, what message are we as the audience to take away from that? That the film itself is very political, but the main protagonist wants to depoliticize art. Great question. 
chłopaku z armii, ja też jestem z armii, także bardzo miło, że byliście u nas w gościach. Mr. Linda said thank you. He was also in, in the, served in the military and he really respects you and he really appreciates you being here and in Poland. So in the making of, of this film, Mr. Linda didn't consider it to be a political film, and he thinks part of seeing it as political is watching it as an audience member, especially in the modern context, and especially in a North American setting. Myślę, że w tej chwili jakby mamy trochę ciężkie czasy dla kultury, jakby to, że tu jesteście, to, że oglądacie takie filmy długie i nocne, to jest strasznie miłe dla nas. Of course, Mr. Linda also believes that it's a very difficult time for culture and it's really impressive to him that people are going to see films in such great audiences and supporting culture. Musimy się trzymać. We have to stay together. Przychodzą ciężkie czasy. Because these are very, very difficult times. Patrząc na jakiś przedmiot, otrzymujemy jego odbicie wokół. Ślad przedmiotu. Bo człowiek tak naprawdę tylko to zobaczy, co sobie uświadomi. Każdy widzi inaczej. Każdy wybór jest dobry, bo jest wasz. Władysław Strzemiński jest najważniejszym polskim artystą XX wieku. Więc jego pozycja jest niepodważalna. Tak pan myśli. 
myself, a visual artist, Vida worked on the idea of this film for 20 years. Making the film in 2015, he had no idea that when it gets finished, the reality it portrays may become, in some frightening way, not that distant. Vida knows the times he shows an afterimage, the humiliation, alienation of freedom-deprived free spirits. He lived through this, and then through the joyous times of freedom and hope. And what now? The film, unlike Katyn, needs no historical background explanation. It's universal, as many non-Polish viewers said when I talked to them after the screening. People from many countries can relate to this message. As Linda says, it is also evidenced by the number of film festivals all over the world which have invited After Image as their opening film. There are around 30 of them, including Saudi Arabia, Vietnam, Brazil, New York, Qatar, Israel, Rome, Madrid. Everybody wants the film. So there is something in it. The film will have its European premiere at La Festa del Cinema Festival in Rome in October, which will celebrate Andrzej Vida's 90th birthday by hosting a gala conference with many famous guests, such as Oscar winners Meryl Streep, Tom Hanks, and Oliver Stone. In Poland, Ovidoki will have its special screening at the 41st Gdynia Film Festival and will be released theatrically in 2017. Trzeba malować w zgodzie z samym sobą. W sztuce można dać tylko to, co się ma. To po czyjej stronie pana stoi? Po swojej. The Polish Independence Concert, which was presented at the beautiful Rose Theatre in Brampton in Canada last Friday, September the 16th, was about Poles fighting in many places around the world. Apart from beautiful music, there were many interesting little-known stories. We will be telling some of them to you on Polcast. One of the most exotic Polish home army underground fighters during the World War II was Sad Ok, Stanisław Supłatowicz. Stanisław Supłatowicz was a son of a Polish mother and a Shawnee father, born and raised among his father's people, the Shawnees. In the late 1930s, Satok and his mother moved to Poland. He joined the Polish resistance movement during the German occupation. He was arrested by Gestapo in 1940 and deported to the Auschwitz-Birkenau death camp, but he escaped from the train transport with a few other prisoners. Then he joined the Home Army, where he gained a nickname Cossack because of his bravery and fighting style based on making traps. Under the name Sad Ox, Stanisław Supłatowicz published several autobiographical novels for children in Polish. They were translated into several European languages. The books describe his childhood and coming of age among the Shawnees in the 1930s. During World War II, Supłatowicz earned several medals, including the Cross of Valor. After the war, he was arrested and imprisoned by communist regime for his affiliation with the anti-Soviet Home Army. After his release, Satok enlisted in the Polish Navy, where he served for six years. He died in Gdańsk 
in 2003. Some stories are unknown to the world, although they're as tragic and important as others that the world is familiar with. Most people know about the beginning of World War II, the attack of Nazi Germany on Poland on September 1, 1939. Very few, however, know that Poland was also attacked by the Soviet Union from the east just 17 days later. The Soviets took over half of Poland, the lands in the east called Kresy, arrested and then secretly murdered 22,000 Polish officers and intellectuals in what is called the Katyn Massacre, for the longest time attributed to Germans. It deported 1.7 million Polish citizens, mostly civilians, to Siberia. They were transported in inhumane conditions in cattle cars to the land of cold and slave labor. The Soviet gulag, camps in which over half of them died of starvation, exhaustion, cold, and disease. Those who survived the horrors of the Siberian camps were released when Germany attacked the Soviet Union in 1941, and Poland became the Soviet Union's ally. Some joined the Anders army and started fighting in battles in many countries. Most never returned to their home country, Poland, after the war ruled by the Soviet-backed pro-communist government. The survivors of this forgotten odyssey often suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder, much like the Holocaust survivors. Their little-known stories are finally shared and publicized by the Kresyf Siberia Foundation, a forum for them, their children and grandchildren. I'm talking to Stefan Wisniewski, its founder, reaching him in Australia just before his departure for Poland, where on the day of the Soviet 1939 aggression on Poland, September 17th, his organization, Kresy Siberia Foundation, will be hosting its annual Generations Remembered 2016 Congress and Conference. It started as a sort of loose internet connection, a chat group of people who research and discover their family roots in eastern Poland and in the deportations and the war. And, and so that started in 2001. It sort of it grew from there. When we had about five or six hundred members, it was sharing photos and things. So we ended up having so much material that we had shared that we said, you know, we've got to start finding a way to really catalog this and share it with the world. That's what led you know, seven years later to establish the foundation, because we said, well, we need to give this some structure and a legal entity so we can get funds and build a virtual museum on the web. So that's what we did. We've got over a thousand survivors who we've interviewed and put excerpts of their story into our online museum. And your members, where do they come from? All over the world. Our oldest member is in his 90s, and we've got them as young as, you know, 14 or 15, who are the great-grandchildren. Most of the members come from the places that the Polish emigres or the exiles ended up after the war. So England, Canada, the U.S., Australia, um, but also South Africa, New Zealand. And interestingly, we started in the West, but... When we decided to set up the foundation and to do an online museum, it was actually important to bring people from Poland into the group and also to make it fully bilingual, so English language as well as Polish language. And now we have a Facebook 
chat group, which has over a thousand members. And interestingly, almost a half of them uh, are now coming from Poland. The virtual museum has had something like a hundred thousand visits over the last two years. And more than half of them are coming from Poland. And the reason for that is that the history in Poland was also not taught. It was suppressed during the communist years. So there's a real hunger for sharing and learning. And we find that we're starting to actually bridge, you know, not only between the generations, but also between people inside Poland and people outside who started started the history in the same place and had some similar experiences during the 1939 years and so on. But then after the war had very different experiences, life in Poland or life in the West. And I think it's a wonderful opportunity to share and reconnect sometimes families who've been separated for 50 or 60 years, maybe didn't even know about another branch or cousins of the family, sometimes their brother or sister they thought had died, gets rediscovered through our online you know, networks, which is just the most amazing thing when that happens. Tell me about your conferences, your Generations Remember Congress and conferences. This year is special because it's your 15th year. They are an yes. annual event, right? Held in Poland always? Um, yes, well, it's our third annual one. And we have been holding them in, in Warsaw. We may branch out to Krakow, maybe Lwów, maybe a few other places. We've been doing them in Poland because it's It doubles as an opportunity for people in the Polonia community to visit, you know, the old country. So often when people will come, they'll come for two or three weeks and they'll combine that with a visit to, you know, their ancestral village to do some sightseeing. Sometimes they're married or have family that's not Polish. They want to introduce them to Poland. So holding it in Warsaw has been actually um, a kind of a double bonus. Although we've also we also have events around the world in different cities, locations, whether it's screening of films or, or speakers um, or survivors telling their stories. So we sort of operate both on that global level, but also on a bit of a more local level, which is fantastic. Now, looking back at those 15 years, do you think that the organization has has helped people to understand the Siberian experience, has increased the, the general knowledge and, and awareness of, of that part of, of Polish history? You know, I think that it has helped because we are oriented around personal stories and histories, perhaps even more than big picture historical essays. It's worked really on a personal level. So we've got, for example, um, what we call the Wall of Tribute, where we list individuals and their histories and when they were born and their families and their experiences. It's a way for people to get in touch with their own families. I think it's really important to mention that for the survivors themselves, often They didn't have a chance to have their history recognized. Many didn't talk about it. And officially, the histories were often denied, such as, you know, the Katyn massacre, for example, which is well known to most of our listeners, was denied or suppressed for many years. And the deportations are related to that because the families of the officers who were killed in Katyn were then themselves deported to Siberian labor camps, you know, to remove them as undesirable elements. So these histories are very intertwined. We've created an online education program, for example, so people can log on, so it can be taught in schools. But really this history isn't on the curriculum of any high schools or universities, and not much in Poland either. But we're doing what we can to propagate our history. I think the interest now is growing much more amongst the children than the grandchildren of the survivors as 
the Polish diaspora, you know, becomes professional. You know, I myself am maybe typical of many of our members. I'm a professional architect, uh, management consultant, executive. Uh, you know, we've got IT people, we've got artists, we've got poets, um, media specialists. These are the kinds of people who are speaking at our conferences. And it's now the next generations who are telling the story. And it's like the flame is strengthening and kindling. So um, much in the way that I think the, the Holocaust, the Shoah of the Jews is being carried forward by the next generations. I think we've, we're learning something about that and the importance of preserving the memory. While not wallowing in uh, the tragedy, I think one of the things you said is very important, that um, these stories were of courage and resilience. And really that is the aspect that we um, are promoting. We want to have a realistic but positive tone to this. We talk about people who lived through this, who preserved their faith, they preserved their loyalty to Poland and the Polish dream. In the face of terrible hardships, that's the lesson that we really want to pull out of this and to celebrate that. And secondly, I think it's important to mention many of the survivors, my parents, our grandparents, lived through this and suffered what we now know as post-traumatic syndrome. And science is beginning to learn that some of these traumas can actually get passed down genetically to the next generations. And we're increasingly becoming aware and addressing this in coming to terms with our own personalities and some of the ways that we relate to the world as the next generation. How is that shaped by the wartime generation? So these are very strong indicators and really validate, I think, the worth of the work that we and others like our organization do, both in the West and in Poland and in the East, like in Kazakhstan, where Polish you know, exiles still live to this day, trying to hang on to their Polishness. So it's a fascinating global story. To learn more about the Siberian story, about the Kresis Siberia group and its work, to visit their online museum, please visit their website as www.kresy-siberia.net. Or, as always, you can find all the background information, links and visuals at our podcast website, www.mypodcast.com In the last episode we played this sound, wondering if you can guess what it is and where in Poland you can hear it. Imagine walking down the street on a hot summer day. You hear kids playing in the park, adults rushing to complete their last errands before leaving for summer vacations, noises coming from open windows. Everywhere you go, you hear this upbeat polka. It is the musical theme of the extremely popular radio show, Lato z Radiem, Summer with the Radio. This live radio program started on the 1st of July 1971, 45 years ago. And with very few changes, it is still running today, in summer. In the communist era, there were only three radio channels, and Latos Radiem was quite modern in those days. Light, interactive, full of humor, good music, 
and keeping away from the gloomy politics. Right after the polka at the beginning, listeners were greeted in six languages, pretty unusual in Poland in those days. Another novel element was that the show was broadcast live. The program is still popular, maybe not as much as it used to be, as there is much more competition on the radio waves now. But Latos Radiem is much more than the radio show now. It is also a series of 17 concerts in popular summer destinations throughout Poland, and there are albums with Latos Radiem old and new hits. So next time you visit Poland during the summer, don't be surprised when you hear this polka, which is really catchy and hard to get rid of if it gets in your head. If you ask Poles about their memories of summer, they're bound to mention the Latos Radiem polka signal. It's time for our next sound from Poland. Here it is. Listen, think, guess. Where do you need to be in Poland in order to hear this sound? And what is it? You've been listening to the 24th episode of Polcast. Polkas is created, recorded and produced in Toronto by Małgorzata Bonikowska and Tomek Kniat. For full-length interviews, visuals and a lot of additional information, please visit our website at mypolcast.com. We are always curious about your reactions, comments and suggestions. Also ideas for the news stories. Please share them with us on our website, mypolcast.com. And we leave you today with Waltz by Wojciech Kilar for Andrzej Wajda's movie Ziemia Obiecana, The Promised Land. Thank you for listening.